Hey everybody, thanks for listening to my first sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. You know how podcasts work. Rate, review, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, maybe even Spotify. I don't know. I've never used Spotify in my life, so I couldn't tell you. You can also like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow the Twitter, myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com. I promise there'll be new stuff up this week. Any questions, thoughts, or recommendations, feel free to email me, josh at myfirstsketch.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Here's this week's reminder that Philly Sketch Fest 2020 will take place across multiple venues between June 3rd and June 7th. We'll start it off like we have in the past few years with the Sketch Comedy Film Festival on Wednesday, June 3rd, and then four nights of live sketch comedy Thursday, June 4th through Sunday, June 7th. So, if you have a sketch comedy act or a short film, you can submit it at phillysketchfest.com. I promise. Right at the top of the page, there's three buttons for live acts, short films, and if you want to be a volunteer. And now, here's a word from some friends. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Today's guest is Patrick J. Riley, currently a member of Kevin and Pat, an infinite sketch out of New York City. Patrick's first sketch is called Laser Fingers. I read the roles of Mark and Jackie. So, we joked before we recorded that these roles are really interchangeable, and if he edited this sketch today, they probably would be combined into one person. I say all that because I really don't do a good job of changing my voice as much as I normally would try to, to distinguish the two characters. And Patrick reads the role of Stanley. Yes, that's Stanley. So let's get to the sketch. An office room. Two people are sitting behind the table. Hey, I can't believe this. We, we've got a meeting with Stan Lee. I know. I mean, this guy's a legend, right? Right, right. But I heard that that he's a little nuts. Come on. The guy created Spider-Man. He gets to be a little nuts. Oh, oh, here he comes. Stan Lee enters. Hello, Mr. Lee. We're just big fans of your work. Hi there, Mr. Lee. Can't wait to hear some of your new ideas. Yes, very excited. So what do you have for us? Well, I have a few. That's what we want to hear. So? Okay, okay. There's a mild-mannered man, average Joe, and then he's bitten by a radioactive laser. Laser? Yes, and he becomes laser fingers. Laser fingers? He's got lasers where his fingers should be, and fingers where his laser should be. Bitten by a radioactive laser? Laser fingers. He worked with lasers, now he's one of them. Laser fingers. Okay, what uh, what else do you have for us? Okay, okay. Well, if laser fingers wasn't for you, then there's Cat Lady. Oh, good. Like Catwoman or Black Cat. No. Mild-mannered lady is bitten by a radioactive cat. Radioactive cat? Uh, what's her powers? She's just a cat. So no powers. Meow is all she says. Okay, but does she solve murders or fight crime? No. She's a fucking cat. Huh. You know what? I think we may have to go. So it was nice meeting you. Wait. There's more. Hold on to your hat, comic book lovers. Here comes the human clock. Okay, I'll bite. What does he do? Stop time. Time travel? He tells time. His stomach is a giant clock. He's got clocks where his stomach should be, and stomachs where his clock should be. He's a fucking clock. Okay, you need help. Okay, one more. No more. Just wait. This one's a winner. Okay, one more. Hot dog man. Get out. He's got hot dogs where his penis should be, and... Penis where his hot dog should be? 
That's just vulgar, Mr. Lee. What? I'm Stan motherfucking Lee, bitches. I am Spider-Man, Thor, and the motherfucking Hulk. What? Can't handle this shit, bitch? Lee out! Stan Lee exits. He's a god among men. Yes, yes he is. Bad shit crazy. Oh yeah, he's nuts. Did you notice that he shit his pants the second he entered the room? Yeah, yeah, he's a legend. Blackout. Hey, Patrick. Hey. All right, so tell me where this sketch comes from. What's this idea come Oh, boy. Um, well, this sketch was... Um, <laughs> it's, this sketch is... What the first sketch I ever wrote, it was I think I, I wrote the first draft of this. This is actually the third draft because there were drafts to this, and I left in all mm-hmm. the swearing because I thought the swearing <laughs> was where the comedy was. Um, this uh, this is the third draft. The first draft I wrote when I was a senior in high school, and um, I went to a very very fun musical theater high school in the middle of Times Square. Um, yeah, yeah, called Repertory Company High School for the Performing Arts. My senior year of high school was essentially uh, do whatever I want because I had taken all the – I don't know if they have them everywhere, but in New York State you have um, these um, tests you have to take for every um, every subject, like a history exam, like a history – I forget what they call them. But um, I had taken all those, so I had all the requirements to finish high school, and because I was not an A student, I didn't really need – I didn't need A's, so I was just coasting on a C and kind of doing whatever I wanted in this, like, theater high school. And one of the things we used to do is we used to just sit around and um, do sketches for MySpace. You remember MySpace, right? Um, This is also, like, Facebook had already been invented and had started to become popular because this is, like, 2000. 9 2010 yeah there's a but time where they were overlapping they sure. were overlapping so this is when they're overlapping but we were but my friends and i were still um we weren't putting anything on youtube because we genuinely thought that you had to get asked to be on youtube you couldn't just put anything you want on youtube but on myspace you had the option of just uploading sketches and videos and stuff so we had uploaded um about like a, a sketch we would record every other day and most of the time we didn't re- write them down, but this is the first one I actually wrote down on paper, typed up, gave to my friends, and we performed to film. And then we ended up never just filming it because it was too much work. And it was easier just running around hitting each other in the balls and like <laughs> putting that on MySpace for like two, three hundred clicks, you know? Have you ever uh, looked to see if that MySpace still exists? Oh, it does. No, it does. It does. Um, I, it's my old high school email, (laughs) which is uh, "Young Nasty Man Two, like the Tenacious D song. Um, I just don't know what the password is, and there's no one at MySpace who can help me out, and I cannot take it down. (laughs) Uh, It's still there. Uh, A lot of them are still there, and it's just so. It's so insane to watch old videos of me in high school, of like old sketch videos, because a lot of it, it's very physical, one, which makes sense because I'm a, I'm a very physical comedian, but it's just so blatantly closeted gay. It's just, <laughs> I just want to grab my little self and just be like, it's okay to be gay, buddy. You could just be <laughs> out because it's so like, oh, this is my friend. He's totally gay. He likes this guy. And I'm like, no, that's you. You definitely do. It was it was it was so cartoonishly almost like a 90s like like teen drama where it's like there's a kid who's gay, but he's always like the bully who's like, oh, he's the gay one. And it's just me. And it's just so embarrassing to watch. Um, Yeah, I think uh, I didn't watch much of it, but I I feel like Glee had. Oh, yeah, exactly. Had a a storyline where the bully turned out to be just a closeted gay guy. And everyone was like up in arms like that. That's not how things work. I was like uh have you been yes it is yes it is exactly how it works like it happens a um, lot i don't want to say i'm a reformed bully because i'm still a piece of shit but (laughs) um i uh yeah i used to not uh, you know what it was it was just because at a very young age i realized that if you were funny no one would hit you you know Mm. 
And I was very, I, I just, I was funny. I'm not going to say I'm very funny because that's a little narcissistic. But I was funny enough where, like, all the bully, all the big kids were my friends because I was the one who was ballsy enough to pick on everyone. Right. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I was just a fucking asshole being mean. Yeah. And, um, but at the time I was like, oh, it's just cause I'm so funny. But like, no, it's just cause I was a dick. I was a, I was a bit of a bully and, um, I regret being a bit of a bully. Um, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, I still have a lot of friends. I went, so my high school was so small. My graduating class was only 30 people. Wow. So, um, I'm still close to a lot of those people and I don't have like that, like, was I a bully? Cause they'll be like, no, no. Cause we're still friends. But my younger cousins, anytime I hang out with my younger cousins who are now in their 20s, they always like to remind me of what a piece of shit I was. (laughs) They're always just like, like, man, Pat, I love hanging out with you. But before, God, I just wanted to kill you. I wanted to push you in front of a truck. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That makes (laughs) sense. I apologize for me. So you went to a performing arts high school. And like, Mm -hmm. so performing was always a thing for you? Yeah, since I was like. It's it's never not been my goal is to to be on um, some sort of world stage, not be famous. I never cared about being famous as much as getting up regularly to perform. I get that's more what it is for me. Um, I don't. You know what? You know what I really hate. Like you know when people come up to you and they tell you what a good job you did, but all you can remember is that one thing you fucked up. Yeah, always. That is my, um, that's my kryptonite. That's what really drives me nuts. Uh, so I don't like fame or like notoriety, but I like respect. That's my, <laughs> my goal is to be a respected comedian that people go, okay. oh, that guy, oh, he's pretty good. That's, uh, that is my end game. Do you know where that starts? Like where, like, oh, I, I want to, you know, act down in front of people. Like where does, um, like, be, well, I was always a loud kid. Um, my, Two of my earliest – well, I have two early memories. One of them is me just eating ants outside my house, uh, nothing to do with anything. And mm-hmm. then the other one is uh, when I was um, – when I it must have been – I must have been in kindergarten um, or maybe first grade. It was when Bill Clinton was being inaugurated for the second term. Um, they were doing the SNL special. Like mm-hmm. the primetime slot of just political sketches. And I remember watching SNL with my mother and father uh, because I didn't have to go to school the next day. Jumping on the bed, watching like two hours of SNL's best of po- political sketches, and then them loving it. And then me being like, that's what I want to do is that. So, so an SNL political specials like your earliest memory of comedy yes yeah that is what i remember uh so i ask everybody uh, i'm always curious because I, I think it like i think it's an interesting uh footnote to everyone's like comedy development stuff yeah who would be your favorite snl cast member oh god i you know what i was i listened to an earlier episode you did with um my uh one of my sketch writing partners uh ganesh Nier. I mm-hmm. I heard I heard so I heard the episode so I knew this was coming, and I've been trying to think, because I don't want to pick Farley because even though I do love Farley, he wasn't, at, he wasn't as huge for me, growing up because he was also fat, and then also tragically died when I was a child, so yeah. it was one of those things of like as a kid it was always in the back of my mind that like oh you don't want to, you don't want to be like him because he died, like all drunk. Right. And then, but I would say, um, I think it's Mike Myers. Okay. Yeah. What, like, what about Mike Myers? His characters. Farley? His characters. As much as, as much as I am a Farley, like, big, jumpy guy, uh, Mike, Mike Myers' characters are something, like, I would, I would spend a lot of my childhood doing, like, uh, coffee talk ladies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did, uh, the, the, the German guy and stuff like that and then wayne's world 2 is one of my favorite movies two so, instead of one? Oh yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah i like one one's great but two is two has a half naked indian and uh <laughs> two has um them putting the band together and two also has farley as the uh tour that the uh the roadie who's yeah. going 
up up and beyond. Um, you know what? I keep saying Far- maybe it is Farley. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's probably Farley. But um, but yeah, Mike Myers. I think it's Mike Myers or Farley, depending on my mood or my two big ones. And Anna Gasteyer, I don't think ever gets enough. But I love Anna Gasteyer. No, I don't think she does. But I, I think she's. Um, I think uh, the women of like SNL in the late '90s, like the, the Molly Shannon, the Sherry O'Terry, yeah, Anna Gasteyer. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like. I hope they're millionaires because they should be. Oh yeah, well Anna Gasteyer, I've seen on stage a few times. She was she actually she was I saw her in my favorite musical of all time. Uh, a she couple did years Wicked ago. for a while, didn't she? She did Wicked for a while, but she was also the mom in a New Brain when I saw a New Brain at City Center, and okay. it blew my fucking mind because when I showed up, I was like I was excited because one musical theater is 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 uh, the, my my lifeblood, but um. I, I showed up because Jonathan Groff was in a musical by the guy who did falsettos. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. And then I sat down and opened the playbill, and I saw Anna Gasteyer was co-starring. I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. I, I guess she can sing because she was in Reefer Madness. And then she just, just destroyed the place. Like, she has two ballads that are not just – there's one that's very funny, but there's another one that's just sad about – it's a musical about a guy who has a brain tumor, but he's a songwriter, and he doesn't know if he's going to be able to write his great song before he dies. And it's actually a very funny show. But in the second half, there's a chance that the guy might not survive, and she plays the mom, and she sings this song that destroys the room called The Music Will Play On, which is even though my son will die, um, I still have to keep on living, and can I live knowing that my son is dead? It fucking destroyed the place. It was incredible. It is one of the best experiences ever. And it's it's Anna Gasteyer from SNL, you know? She was in a hot tub with Will Ferrell as he did as he did a character. You know, <laughs> it's just a weird it's a weird thing. But she uh she put out a holiday album. She did. It's really good. And and she toured and she came to Philadelphia and I'm like I'm kicking myself that I didn't go. Yeah. I feel like it would have been a really fun night. Yeah, she's she's incredible. Um, so uh, okay, yeah. let's talk a little bit about musicals. Oh, great, uh, perfect, my favorite thing. Since that was your, <laughs> your, your, you said your bread and butter. Uh, yeah. So what was it about musicals? Oh God. Um, well, or what was? Feel... Uh, let's start with what was like the first one that was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Oh, my first one. Um, that is. Oh, that's so hard. Oh, you know what? It's uh, very simple. I know the exact moment too. It's um, it was my my mother just got a DVD player, um. We just got a DVD player for the first time. This is like 2002, 2001. And uh, she took me to Best Buy and she let me pick out five movies. And then she's going to pick out five movies. And that's what we were going to okay. do. And I picked out like four Batman movies and Quest to Camelot. And then my mother picked like four movies for herself. And then she picked Little Shop of Horrors. And then we went home okay. and I watched Little Shop of Horrors. And then that weekend I saw it like nine times. And then... Uh, I was so into Little Chop of Horrors, and it was playing in New York at the time. Uh, so this must have been 2003. But my mother, I remember, she goes, you know, we can do standing room. Because my mother is a big theater person, too. She, not she's in theater. She's just a teacher. But um, she also mm-hmm. loves musical theater. And when she was a teenager, she used to do standing room all the time where you would go to a theater, buy tickets like $20 to go stand in the back while the show happens. So my mother tells me that we, we get dressed up. We go into the city. And Little Shop of Horror closed two weeks before we showed up. Like, we show up, oh. and it was already closed. And then uh, across the street from where the theater was was where the producers was playing. So my mother took me in to see the producers that night. And that kind of, like, that was the night that, like, switched something in my head. Where I was like, oh, my God, musicals are the best thing ever. And then, yeah. Two very comedy musicals. Oh, yeah, the producers. Well, because then that also started... I think the most influential comedy voice in my life is Mel Brooks, you know, because I used to, it's like, I think my, my three, the three things in comedy that like I used to watch obsessively were SNL, like the best of videos. I owned Mm -hmm. almost all of them and I used to record SNL on VHS and watch that. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And I would just play the same sketches over and over again. And then there's weird sketches that like, I have recordings of that I used to watch a million times and then I ask people about and they never remember. Like, do you remember the sketch where it's Will Ferrell plays the devil? And with, with Garth Brooks, Brooks. do you remember that sketch? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. T- yeah, that's a sketch I keep talking to people about. They're like, they're like, what do you? I don't think that's real. I'm like, no. And then, but the devil doesn't know how to play the guitar, and it's yeah. It, it I didn't realize when I when that first thing because uh, growing like that was like my era that I start watching SNL, yeah. and I didn't realize that for, I didn't realize I was Will Ferrell as the devil, but I also thought that Garth Brooks was one of the best hosts. Oh yeah, he's not bad. Like, he's good. Yeah, I think he did it, like twice. Yeah. And he did a really good job. Like he did, he did. That's a good sketch. That's a good sketch. That's a good episode. Yeah. Honestly, I remember the whole episode was funny. Um, yeah, but no, it's 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 uh, SNL and then Mel Brooks and then Martin Short are like the three people who like I used to like all through high school and uh, middle school. I would just just copy their bits and stuff like that. That live producers, you know, seeing it live was that the first time you experienced the Mel Brooks yeah. work? Yeah, or... well, um, probably. I, I, might, I might have seen something earlier, but it was the first time I remember seeing like a Mel Brooks thing. And then I mm. like that Christmas, I got the Mel Brooks DVD collection. And then I remember scour. I used to scour old, uh, old V like old uh, video rental places that were going into business. Mm-hmm. I used to scour for old VHS copies so I can get like the 12 chairs and um, old episodes of get smart. And um, I, listen to like you know 2000 year old man stuff like that so you went full deep dive because like oh yeah i still i still haven't ever seen 12 chairs or 12 chairs is pretty good it's not it's not as it's it's not mel brooks like it's not a it's not like a signature mel brooks that you know you can you you can tell that mel brooks is just trying to make like a genuine film and it's good and frank langella is so fucking good in it but isn't it like a a russian play or something to start with yeah it's based on a russian play it will yeah it's based on that and then he adapted that um it the the op it's weird because the opening there's an opening song that's so mel brooks it's so mel brooks and then the rest of the movie is very russian you know Mm -hmm. and very like russian comedy like a checkoff where it's like very bleak and the comedy comes from how bleak it gets um but the opening song is a bunch of uh orthodox greeks priests and rabbis singing a chorus of hope for the best expect the worst da, 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 da. it's such a mel brooks song um and but it's so weird it's so it's so weird then the rest of the movie kind of just happens in this very contained story and it's not lampoonish it's not crazy but even like if you look at the producers as crazy as the producers gets it's it's a very Mel Brooks thing, like the original movie. But yeah. if you look at it compared to late, his later films, it's so different because yeah. it is a very singular story that isn't in fact, that's not affected by other genres or stuff. Where like Blazing Saddles is a satire of the West Western, and you got Young Frankenstein satire of this, and the you know all these other films. And I feel like he later in life tried to make a movie like that again called Life Stinks. And it is one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> it is so bad. Yeah, I think I think he's one that uh, as he got like you know later into career, um, like my first introduction to him was Men in Tights. Yeah, yeah. And like it was the TV edit like that was airing like on Fox when you know yeah. Fox still did Thursday night movies or whatever it was, and like the very um, very timely references of like. Dave Chappelle having to pump up his sneakers. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like the an- anachronistic, but current humor. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's because he had to compete with uh, Airplane and the, uh, oh, what's the name of the brothers? The, the Zuckers. Uh, the Zucker brothers. That's right. He had yeah. to compete with those guys. And, uh, and it's just, he definitely, like, after Spaceballs started being more, because Spaceballs was more of a hit than History of the World, which I think is a better movie. But, hmm. you know, so he started doing more like I mean, Dracula Dead and Loving It isn't a bad movie. It's just, you know, there's a lot of 90s references in it that yeah. aren't needed. And, yeah, his heyday is definitely like the late 60s, early 70s. But, I I mean, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein and Silent Movie are so good. I And you, yeah. and you mentioned your third one was Martin Short. Yes, I'm. Yeah. Big time. What? Where? Where? What's your introduction, to Martin Short? My introduction, to Martin Short, was I always knew who Martin Short was because he's kind of everywhere. 
Um, and he was also on SNL a lot. So like he would, every once in a while they would like, he would show up for something or, you know, he was on the show in the eighties, but mm-hmm. my big introduction was Martin short was there was a Broadway show that he did called fame becomes me where it was uh, the one man show. That's not a one man show. Exactly. And it is my favorite but, thing. Yeah. It's, I, it's my favorite thing I've ever seen. I've never seen it live. But I have the soundtrack for sure. Yeah. I saw it with my mother she took me we did standing room for it and then i went back and saw it four more times it is it's it's i i remember it changed my personality like com like comedy wise because i was i was probably like 14 maybe 15 when i saw it and it Mm -hmm. was like a thing of like oh that's the kind of comedian i want to be is that like, because the show, because Martin Short's characters, too, a lot of the time are, you know, big and boisterous and very, but like the character of Martin Short is, I am the greatest performer of all time. Thank you for watching me kind of thing. Yeah. And I, it's, th- that show, like, broke my brain. It was so funny. It was so genius. And um, I, 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 again, like, I like his characters, but just like the character of Martin Short, of like this very flamboyant loud comedian is i think who especially doing stand-up is who i am the most you know <laughs> and who i'm influenced the most because my stand-up is very loud and yelly and it's 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 um like now now i've now i've started like where i'm most of my bits are story-based but when i was when i started a lot of it was I am the best comedian you'll ever see. And the joke comes from how pompous I am. And it's because I was just doing a Martin Short kind of shtick, you know? Um, so when Martin Short and Steve Martin go on tour, mm-hmm. like they do their, their, their two person tour now. Yeah. Uh, I saw them in Philadelphia and he did step brother to the Jesus. Yeah. In, in this tour. And I was like, I was wondering if anyone in the crowd knew, yeah, I watched where that I came watched, from. When like, I watched that on Netflix, I was like, "Oh, he's just doing a because you know, it's not just that Step Brother Jesus. It's his whole segment is just a 30-minute version of his 2-hour show." Right. And it's so good. That show was so funny. Um there yeah, it was it was such a funny, wonderful show. Uh the whole second act, basically at the end of the first act, he stands on stage after hitting after this big number doesn't go right. He goes, "If I'm not the greatest comedian in the world, may God strike me dead." And then he gets struck by lightning in the middle of a theater. And then the second act is um, Jiminy Glick and um, uh, Ed Gimli and all his other characters um, basically uh, taking over the show. And it was like ah, it was tra- it was it was insane. I remember like my little comedy nerd because I was always a comedy nerd. So I knew all mm-hmm. these characters. I remember my little comedy brain was exploding the whole time. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna like make fun of you for being a comedy nerd, but you say you see producers live and you go deep dive and yeah. go like go straight to twelve chairs, mm-hmm. like yeah, 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 that's what happens. Like yeah, that's comedy nerd. Yeah, like it's same thing. It, it happens <laughs> with all anytime. I mean, it's my issue with like anything really. It's I mean, even now, I mean, I just as an adult, I just got into Terry Pratchett. Um, who's a very fun fantasy comedy writer. I read one of his mm-hmm. books and then I was like, oh, I wonder how many other books that he wrote. And then he wrote like 54 other books in this world called This World. And now I'm going through all of them because I'm because uh, I'm uh, compulsive. I, I was going to say, there's, sounds like there's a little bit obsessive. Yeah, I'm obsessed. It. I'm obsessive. If I like something, I want to know everything about it. Um, and, uh, and I kind of throw myself head for- first into it. You know, so saying that, have you ever read Martin Short's uh, memoir? Yeah, I do. I own two copies of it. I have a hard, I have a, I have a, um, a paperback, and I have a hardcover copy. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that it's not a book to read on a plane because yeah, those last couple of chapters, I was bawling, bawling your eyes out. It's insane how sad it gets. But you, but like, you know what? It's one of my favorite comedy autobiographies I've ever read because it's so. It's written so in his voice. You can't help. Mm. It's it, I, I would put it in, uh, uh, on par myself with um, 
with uh, Steve Martin's Born Standing Up. Like, yeah. I think it's that good, and it's so well, it's so well put together because it's just it sounds so much like him, you know. Uh, oh shoot! I was just about to ask something. I totally forgot what it was because I was thinking about Steve, uh, about Martin Short. Uh, ah. Yes, I love the movie Clifford. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. I saw that, as, but I love. Like, I saw that as a child, Same. and I, I, like, entirely too young to see it because I, I don't, I don't think I got under half of it. I saw it as like an oh, eight year old, okay. and I remember running around the house just quoting it, and then I, I remember going to school thinking everyone you know when you're like a kid and you see something and you just assume everyone else knows what you're talking about i just assumed everyone knew clifford because they saw it on tbs at like two in the afternoon and then i later found out in life that it's not a popular film yeah i thought it was not yeah it's one of my favorites as a kid no one wanted to see martin shore as an eight-year-old yeah yeah but he gets lost (laughs) in that dinosaur ride at the end it's one of my favorites I, I just remember what I, what I forgot. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the the dumb question that people ask about, like, oh, if you had a time machine, where would you go? Like, and uh, everyone, like, has, like, these big, heady, like, moments in history. Yeah. Mine is to see that original Toronto production of Godspell. Yes. Yes. With Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Martin, Martin Short, Short Andrew Martin, Martin, like, all them. Like, yeah. that's where I want to go. Oh, yeah. I wish that there was some kind of, like, audio recording yeah, there, you know oh, what? Like something. I of fucking it. I regret not saying this earlier. There's someone who I obsess with. Ar- Adria Martin is someone I worship. I mm-hmm. I've seen her live in musicals and in like stage shows, uh, at least a dozen times. She's someone who like if I see her name's on a marquee or that she's in a production, I've gone out of my way to get tickets just to see her because she is so fucking brilliant. Every choice she makes on stage is so calculated. It's so calculated. And for the and her timing is pure perfection. She is yeah. so good. She was just in a. I just saw her in a Christmas Carol on Broadway, and it was such a bad production. And you could tell she was in a bad production because she was just like, she just walked on stage and just hammed it up for just the audience, and then went off just like and like walked off with a wave. Like, all right, I'm leaving now. And I'm like, oh, what a goddamn <laughs> angel. That was my time. Yeah, that was enjoy my the rest of the have fun with this boring production of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so you mentioned doing like like little sketches in high school, yes, with your friends yeah. putting them on MySpace, and then also doing stand up. Uh, as you get older, what what's the first thing that really takes over stand up or sketch? I like ske- I like comedian? sketch more. I've always liked sketch more. Um, I didn't really get to do sketch until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but sketch has always been where my brain works best, you know? What's your first step as a sketch comedian, as an adult? Like, do you take a class? Do you? No, no, no. I never take classes just because, not, not because I'm like, oh, classes are dumb. I'm just super poor. I've always been super poor. Yeah. I just can't afford them. Um, but all so, my friends. So how do you get started there? All my friends are fucking uh, rich and white, so they get to go out and take UCB classes because they have money and I get to hang out with my friends and my friends tell me what they learned and I get to take classes through them, which doesn't work out in my favor because <laughs> you need to be part of that culture to really break it. But I, uh, yeah, a lot of my friends of are, are UCB people who I then did outside of UCB shows with. I was part of clip show for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. maybe two years. And it, that was just like, a, that was my classes. Those were my learning where I was just learning like what a game was and, you know, sure. the proper pacing of a sketch and stuff like that. And then I started writing with clip show for a little bit. Um, and then I, uh, I, I left uh, clip show, not in the best terms about the oh, year. No. Uh, the, the, after the first show they did at the bit, um, we kind of went our separate ways. And then, uh, and then I started doing infinite sketch with uh, a bunch of my other friends. But I feel like uh, Kevin Frolex, who is my comedy partner, my partner in crime, we've written a musical together. We've uh, written a one-man show together. Um, uh, we were a comedy duo, Kevin and Pat. And uh, I feel like he's the one who, like, when it comes to comedy writing, he's the one who I work with the best because it's it's weird. Because we used to when we, when we started writing sketches together, because we started a show... Am I going on too much of a tangent or 
I feel like I've gone. No, okay, we're good. cool. I get, I get, I get. Oh, great. It's all good. I feel like I, so people tra- at home who are trying to catch up to where I'm going with this, I was in a sketch group. It was great. But the only reason why I was in a sketch group was because of my friend Kevin Frolix and I started a comedy show called Dynamic Duos because him and I love duo bits. We were, okay. um, how we became friends was because Kevin. Uh, Kevin did stand up. I did stand up. Sandy happened. Sandy like destroyed New York for a month. You know, the trains weren't working. The buses weren't working. No open mics were happening. And this is like maybe I was doing stand up for maybe a year or two at this point, maybe two years, three years. And uh, Kevin was having an apartment mic where he was just having comedians over. We're going to do an open mic in his apartment. Uh, we Kevin and I had met like maybe once before this. I show up at his mic and I am 20 years old. And uh, I'm underage. I could not legally buy drinks. So I stole a bottle of Bacardi from a friend's house, showed up, uh, and we just became friends that night. It was it was weird because he had a poster on his wall of of uh, of oh what's his name um, uh, Robert Klein, and then we started talking about how much we both loved Robert Klein. I was super into Robert Klein because I used to because again I obsess over stuff, so I would like deep dive into different standups. And Robert Klein did a lot of, you know, storytelling stuff, which I kind of gravitate towards. And then he would, he's also from Brooklyn. So he would tell these stories about growing up in Brooklyn. And since I'm from Brooklyn, I would be like, oh, cool. Like he gets it. You know, it's always good when you see someone from Brooklyn make it because I feel like Brooklyn is this, um, for a lot of people, like this cool hit place. But if you're from Brooklyn, this is a place where you come to die. Like you, like you're born here and then you don't really leave Brooklyn. You become part of it. Like, like kind of like how like the little mermaid turned into the sea foam at the end of the real story. Like you just become part of Brooklyn when you die. So like, it's this thing of like so many of my friends, uh, so many of my friends who are not from Brooklyn, when I say, Oh, I'm, I'm at my neighborhood bar or my townie bar. They're always like, well, it's New York. There's no such thing as a townie bar. I'm like, no, there is. It's just, you're not allowed there. Um, so I, when you see people like Robert Klein make it, it's like, oh, good, you can make it out of Brooklyn, but still be Brooklyn. And like, it's like, there's tons of people who are, who are like from, Bro- like originally from Brooklyn, you know, who've made it. But if you also counter the fact that there's so many people here, there's not that many. Anyway, uh, so Kevin and I were talking about uh, Robert Klein. Right. We become friends, um, and then through that we just start performing everywhere. Like we would just meet up, do open mics constantly, three dollar tavern, place like that. And uh, Kevin and I really love the Smothers Brothers. And I was working at a comic book store in the village where I also used to do open mics and comedy shows in. Uh, and I just, one day Kevin texted me, hey, do you want to do a Smothers Brothers type show at this place? And I said, yeah, sure. And then that's it. That's how we became. And then we just started doing duo bits. And we started a show called Dynamic Duos. We did it for two years at three different locations. And it was a... We would have other comedians try to do duo bits, but that never went well because it would be Kevin and I would write these, we would write sketches that we would do together. And we would, it was great because it was a really good writing exercise for the two of us, like really working with other people. And it was wonderful. And then we would have other comedians come on and nine out of 10 times, the other comedians would just be one, two comedians standing on stage doing stand up at each other. And it drove us nuts. But then there was that, like, one out of ten. Yeah. One out of ten was, a ge- like, genius bits. Like, we had um, our good like our good friend Ben Wasserman on with Zangalia, and they would do these great bits. One time, uh, Zane came on. I forget who he had partnered with. But there's this bit where they're just selling Tupperware to the audience, and then you slowly realize that the Tupperware people has stolen their his wife, and you need... He needs to sell this Tupperware or they're going to kill him and his kids. Oh, also he has kids. It was so funny. It was so funny. It was great like that. So we did it for about two years and then we stopped because it just got to a point where it was, it was so much work and it was kind of killing our vibe a little bit where we would, you know, go up, work on this bit, do the bit. And then someone would walk on stage with and just stare at each other and say, so stand up wise, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been doing this. And it's just like, ah, oh, fuck. They're not doing the work. And then uh, our our response to that was we wrote a musical. So yeah, you mentioned writing a musical and writing a yes. one man show. How did the duo write a one man um, show? 
Well, the premise of the one-man show is that uh, we booked our one-man shows at the exact same time in the same theater. So uh, instead of making the other person leave, we just do our one-man show at the same time. And what it becomes is okay. uh, we just start doing like uh, just a bunch of sketches. But the first half of the show is us genuinely trying to do a one-man show. Um, and then his one-man show is a very wholesome kind of like, well, I made it to the big city from my small little town. And mine is uh, about doing drugs in Studio 54 in the 80s. And it's completely made up because I just want to be flashy and big. And um, and then we go on and we do bigger bits and we do longer bits. Um, and it was a lot of fun. We did it in December of uh, we did it in December of uh, last year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we, I mean, we really didn't talk about like the beginning of stand up oh, for yeah. you. When do you remember the first time you did stand up? Yes, the first time I did stand up, I was uh, seventeen. Um, well, oh, yeah, okay. the first time like, I actually went to like an open mic, I was seventeen. And it was at the drama bookstore um, in New York. In the basement, they have like a theater there. Well, not anymore because they got they're they're moving now, but they closed where the old location used to be. And the old location there used to be a theater in the basement. And in that theater, they used to do like open mics and stuff. And I, it's it was on 40th and Broadway, and I went to high school on 30 uh, 43rd and Broadway. And one day walking by uh, when I was a senior, when I was a senior or no, I was a junior in high school. I walked by, saw they were doing open mic signups and I just walked on stage and my first bits were, uh, my first, my first stand up bit I ever wrote was when I was like 13. I wrote a joke that I still use today cause it's not, not terrible. It's, um, yeah, wow. it's my mother's Puerto Rican and my father's Irish. So I'm like West side story. It's why I'm such a good dancer. And also my dad was shot and um, that's, yeah. So I wrote that when I was 13 and I, it's just something I've always done. Cause you know, it's, 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 it, it always works. But uh, so I did that. And then I just talked about Spider-Man, the musical for four minutes. And that was my first stand-up routine. And I had a really good response audience. And I used to go back like every month or so I would go back, I would do some time and then, that went on for about a year and a half, and then I went to college for a bit. I went to uh, I went to community college here in the city. Uh, BMCC had a terrible time, uh, and then that's when I, I remember I was sitting in like a uh, science class, like looking around, like hating, hating being there. And then I opened my phone and I opened to like uh, an open mic website, and I just started writing down open mics I can do at night. And I just started going to open mics regularly from there on. Nice. Yeah. So I've been doing this since I was 17. Wow. Yeah. I, sad I always, well, it's not sad, but like I always uh, have the impression that if you don't want to go to become a scientist, mm-hmm. having to take a college level science class is like the worst torture for it's the worst torture. Any yeah. artist. Or... Yeah. I was getting a, I was getting a degree in theater, but I had to take math and science classes and I'm like, why does this matter? You know, I like, and in in my short college time, I took I picked the absolute wrong science to take, and I hated every minute of it. Like, what did you take? I took I biology. Bio- I took biology yeah. too. That was the one. And yeah, yeah. because I thought it was going to be the easiest and simplest. One and of the worst decisions of my life. Yeah, I failed it twice. <laughs> I had to take it. I had to take it three times, and then after that, I was just like, I'm just going to leave. Because at that point too, I Me was too. working. At a, <laughs> I was I was working at a theater, in on on Bond Street, the Gene Frankel Theater. I was working at the theater, and I was take I was at a community college for theater, and I had and we got a new light board at the college, and it was the same light board that I had just programmed at the theater, and my theater tech teacher who I was with didn't know what to do with the light board, so I went up there and I just programmed it for her. And then she went, oh, that was easy. And I'm like, yeah, why am I here? Like, why? You're not showing me anything. Like, I, I, I'm I, learning more with my hands-on experience. So yeah. I just, yeah, I decided then I'm like, I'm just wasting time and money. And I could be out there trying to, you know, getting up, you know, seven times a night. I used to get up seven times a night. Thinking about that now, I, I, I just, it's just, it's, it's, it's insane. Well, that's the whole New York thing about like, I mean, there's stages everywhere that like, yeah, 
I think even yeah, like like Seinfeld would say stuff about like, oh, if you're not getting up four times a night, you're not like doing it well and whatever Seinfeld. Yeah, but you know what? From someone who got up four times a night, I can honestly say, don't do it. It's <laughs> not it doesn't help you. I feel like the perfect amount of times to get up at an open mic a night, not a show. If you do a show, it's very different. Yeah. A show is you were doing polished material and you were just going up there to to work on your craft and how to work with an audience. That's very different. Open mics are you're working on the material itself. If you get up more than two times a night, um, your those jokes will sound stale to you three days later, and that you'll lose good jokes. I I'm not gonna say who they are because they are um, relatively not famous, but like well known now. But there's a comic who like I started with who would get up as much as I did, like seven times a night, and they would like they had these fucking incredible jokes that they would throw out two days later because they felt stale. And I'd be like, no, that's such a good joke that you just threw away because it sounds old to you because you've heard it like at this point, dozens of times, you know? Um, yeah. And now, and now, now I'm at the point where I just, I get up every other night or so on a show and I'm like, ah, I'm good. Yeah. Cause I also, now I'm focusing on sketch too. Right. So, I mean, uh, this all started like reaching out to you to do the podcast because uh, I went up to New York Sketchfest for the Saturday shows and I was hanging with my buddy Isaiah from Bad Medicine and we saw you across the room and we recognized you, but we couldn't point. We couldn't remember what sketch show or what team we recognized you from. Like, so, you know, we walked over and talked and everything. Uh, you were really excited about Infinite Sketch. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mis- I, had ju- I had just done that show, okay. and we just fucking killed. Yeah. So tell me about Infinite Sketch. Oh yeah, Infinite Sketch is is great. It's um, it was started because uh, a bunch of us kind of left um, Clip Show and other shows mm-hmm. that we were part of um, for for because it was started by Miles Hewitt and Sam Bourne, two of my oldest friends that stand up in comedy, um, and they they both left uh, Clip Show like a little after I did and they were looking for something else to do. And they had this idea of doing a David Foster Wallace sketch show, not sketches about David Foster Wallace, but using his style of writing with anecdotes and um, with, I mean, notations and uh, breaking up sketch narratives and using meta commentary during sketches um, as a show. And that's what it became. It's now it's a show where we have, uh, the sketches are all annotated with facts about the sketches. We have sometimes the action is stopped by a cast member to explain the meaning behind certain things. Uh, sketches start and stop at different points, and then we'll continue later with more callbacks to earlier sketches. Uh, and it's great. I'm really, I really love it. Um, we're doing our next show is February 22nd, so right now we're in the writing process, mm-hmm. and I. I'm realizing more and more how much more fun it is writing in the room for someone than me coming with a sketch because I came with three sketches that I had and I'm like, all right, here are three sketches. Two of them. I was like, eh, I don't really like them. One. I'm like, I'm going to keep, but then just riffing in the room because I'm obsessed with the film cats. I don't know if you've seen it. I, I've, I, I missed out multiple oh, times. Oh, You missed out. Like I have seen it six times. Oh it is gosh. the greatest film ever made. I will die on this hill. <laughs> I I wrote so I was just my my friend Rosa Escondone, who is my muse, my beauty. Uh, she and I were just riffing about how confused Dame Judy Dench looks in that movie. So I wrote a whole sketch where it's Dame Judy Dench figuring out that she's in cats. And it is my opus. Well, granted, it's my opus because the last thing I wrote. Whatever the last thing I wrote it, that is my opus. But <laughs> uh it's it's Dame Judy Dench just going like, wait, am I the cat? Oh my god, this is cats, and that's it's a whole thing. It's so much fun, and uh, yeah, it was just something like I literally like I I I always come extra prepared whenever I do anything. Uh, I always have like too many sketches just in case they need something else, and I always like I'm whatever sketch I'm on. If it's the first draft meeting, the sketch I bring in is on its twentieth draft. It's just how I operate in my brain. I need to make sure this is the best it can be before anyone can see it. Um, and I, but I always find the the ones that bring me the most joy is when I'm sitting with like another comedian and we're like, yeah, but what if what if this? And then that's where the 
that's where the juices go flying and you get excited about it you know yeah absolutely. because um, I, I was the same way with my first sketch team like i always wanted to present a final product exactly to the team yeah. instead of like all right here's this idea let's play with it like mm-hmm. for sure but it doesn't it doesn't work is is good you know it's always it's always more fun when you when you can play with people and that's what i that's what i'm learning because i because um that's that's what I feel like my biggest issue with with Clip Show when I was part of Clip Show was I didn't feel like it was um, a sketch team as much as a sketch group of people who came together under like one person. Mm. Where Infinite Sketch is a sketch team where like every time we pitch an idea, everyone gets full access to rewrite and write and like that sketch and like throw their ideas out there's no bad ideas like genuinely like if you have a terrible idea we're not we we don't like openly mock mock you we're always just like no that's stupid let's just do something else and then you can then work with that person who just said don't do that idea on the next idea that works and it really feels like like a team like we're really working together to make the best possible product and that's the same same with like when i work with kev with kevin and pat bits usually how like we used to we used to when we used to write together just the two of us how we wrote a bit together was Kevin had a very detailed sketch and I would come with notes and then Kevin would give me the detailed sketch and I'd go, all right, uh, let's do it once like this and then throw it out and then let's just ad lib it. And he would hate that. But then anytime we did it, that's how it would work. Mm. It would only work when we ad libbed. So then now what happens is what we do is we come up with a very general idea of a sketch and then we ad lib it until we figure out, all right, this is what the sketch is. Then we write it down. Which is very different how I normally write sketches, but yeah, it's very it counterintuitive for... to that idea of rewriting something three yeah. times before you present it to the group. Exactly, but it's it's because you have to. I don't know. I feel like I have two modes about it when I'm writing with Kevin, and then when I'm writing with Infinite Sketch. Like Kevin and I on Monday, we just did a new show, uh, and we wrote a new sketch. And the new sketch that I feel like really because we did two new ones, one was fine, but the other one that I feel like really worked was an idea that Kev had because. Uh, he found out that Warren Zevon, when he died, told his son to get rid of his old porno tapes. Um, and then Kev was like, "What is? Wouldn't it be funny if you realize your mortality on stage, and then go, Kev, when I die, get rid of my old porno tapes. But then we watch the old porno tape, and it's you, <laughs> like it's me. And then I and I took it one step further, where I made it a time travel thing, where not only am I making old porno? It's an old seventies porno that I'm in, but also I have the ability to time travel. And I was there for Kevin's birth and I am, I was the doctor that delivered him. And then, you know, it ends with, you know, it ends with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, him going like, Oh, I understand why you didn't want people to see this. I'm like, well, no, it's what I say next. And it goes, wait, are you voting for Jill Stein? And I'm like, yeah, I thought she had ideas. And then that's how it ends. And it was like a fun bit. And like, again, we're going to work on it. Like a, like, for again and again and again but it's just how we write now is this very fun loose way that both of us aren't used to because kevin's the kevin's the same way i am when we get to like actual sketch groups is we have to write this a billion times for us to be like comfortable showing people so then how did you get comfortable doing it this way for this project because it's it's because not because i feel like this is important too is just not only is kevin my sketch partner he's also my best friend Mm -hmm. you know I mean, I, I I was I I ordained his wedding. Um, uh, I he's 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 my oldest friend, so it's like it got to this point where, um, we just we just feel comfortable with each other, and we know that the other person can pick up the slack if we drop it, you know. And it takes years because Kevin and I've been working together since 2012. You know, it's like we've been we we it's it's years and years of just realizing that like. If I say this, Kevin will say this. Or if Kev says this, yeah. he knows I'll do this. You know, it's that kind of movement. It's not something that happens overnight. I have a lot of friends who, uh, I have a lot of friends in comedy who come see Kevin and I do bits together and then say, oh man, that's great. You know, I think I should do, um, do a stuff with this person. And I'm always like, yeah, it's cool. But also just know that like Kevin and I just spent, 29 hours together 
going over and over and over and over and over and over and over the same thing that you just saw. It wasn't that we did it once and walked on stage. It's that we rehearse it to the point where we go, is this even fucking funny anymore? And then we do it on stage. We're like, oh, we're fine. Don't worry. We'll be okay. You know? Yeah, because I like I always have that thing of like, yeah, I could really enjoy being in a duo with that person. Mm-hmm. Like here in the city, like, oh, like if I'm thinking for a new product. And there's like, a lot of people that are like, like I would call them like free agents right now. Like they don't have a, like, a, yeah. a full-time project right now it's like oh i really wish like i could really have a good show with them and then like the amount of work that i think it would put in to yeah. become a like a really solid duo mm-hmm. i don't yeah you have to be also prepared to like see that person every day like, for hours on end. a lot of work because because kev and i were doing when we doing when we're doing the uh the two-man one-man show um from because we both so this is what ended up happening was so we're doing it in december and um my my last infinite sketch for the month for the year was um beginning of november and kevin is on a mod team at ucb mm-hmm. and his last his last show was the week after my show and the second kevin show was done on a monday night tuesday we're like all right i'll meet you on tuesday and we spent three weeks where all we did was meet up after like after work or thing and just meet up and go over stuff meet up and go over stuff that's all we did for three weeks and th- that's not even including before that when we were both working on our individual sketch shows we were also meeting up every other day but once our shows were done it became priority number one and we just met every single day and we just went over stuff over and over and over again and then we would pitch new ideas and this and it's fun because what we would end up doing is we would end up like writing a very tight script, doing the very tight script, and then throwing the script out, ad-libbing the script as best we can remember, and then rewriting some of the ad-libs, and then going back with a tight script that with some new ad-libs in it, and then going back, cutting some of the old stuff, cutting some of the fat, and it just became this thing where like it's it was like I didn't see a lot anyone else but Kevin for like two weeks, you know. And that's the kind of work that goes into it that I, I feel like a lot of people, when they see us, because because the thing, too, is when we're on stage together, we're very ourselves when we're off stage because it's how we've built this kind of back and forth with each mm. other. Um, so you're not totally and, like characters, like on. Yeah, like we're definitely like we're definitely heightened versions of ourselves. But because like when I'm with Kevin, I feel more comfortable. Right on stage you know so like we tend to be a little more ourselves off stage too so people just assume because they see us then after at a bar drinking that they're like oh man you guys just walked up and did that that's crazy and we're like yeah yeah that, that was just months of months of work <laughs> you know same thing same thing when we so we wrote a musical it was like a full musical with a full cast called uh, great frontier a poorly researched musical about lewis and clark yeah. where we both played lewis and clark and people afterwards i feel like that for people where people would be like, Oh my God, that was so much work. And we were like, yeah. But then, but then people would see us do the Kevin and Pat shows and they would just be like, wow, that was great. Good job. And they were like, you have no idea how that was almost the same amount of work with less people. And we prefer doing the two, two man stuff much more <laughs> just because relying on other people has become a nightmare. The, the idea that like people can see a comedy show and think it, that we're really like, and the, I mean, I don't, I don't want to slag on like improv as being a part oh, of it yeah. because but, improv I mean, takes improv, a lot of work to train and, and, too. And, yeah. and practice too. But like the idea that people think that like, we're just dicking around on stage as sketch mm-hmm. performers, like, oh, this is, this didn't take as much work as it did. It's yeah. always a little yeah. infuriating. And writing, and writing sketches too is, it's, it's, I don't know, it's banning. Like my, my friend, um, my, my friend Hattie Hayes, who also writes for infinite she also performs then writes for infinite sketch um she um she's new to sketch writing mm-hmm. and um she comes from writing like articles and essays and like novelization kind of like novels and stuff like that and every time she writes a sketch uh i also everyone on the team makes fun of me because my notes are always hey we can cut like two pages but she um she writes these like long epic conversations and I'm like, yeah, but it just can just be A and B, and then you're done. You got to the game, and then the game's going to happen, and you could just let that ride. It doesn't need to be two pages of setup about knowing about the character's backstory. 
and she gets so mad but like she but she's also new in the sense of like it, i guarantee you in like a year or two she's gonna be in my mindset of like yeah no we can cut 90 percent of this and <laughs> go on stage and just that's fine yeah and then you like, know? uh new writers don't understand that people have to memorize this and yes that's also but it's a very yes. needless conversation exactly. yeah it, it's hard there's also because with yeah and there's also in uh in infinite sketch this season because last season was our first season went really well uh we got picked up again at the pick pit we're super excited um but this time going forward we're like you know what let's get more writers because at the first one i think it was just the first show was just miles and sam and then the second show was me miles sam and rosa and then going on from that it was now we start picking up more people more people but this time it's almost everyone is sort of writing it was at least in the writer's room which is a little which i thought was gonna be chaotic but we all have been working together for a year now so we all kind of have the same type of voice so it's not as chaotic as i thought it was going to be but it is a lot of people who are new at sketch writing and um they're not as they're not as green as i thought they were going to be but there are a few people who like write page-long monologues where i'm like there's no way (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna memorize this page-long monologue please don't do this to me (laughs) like you know please please don't and i'm also i'm a I'm not great with memorizing words, oh, I, which is a bad thing to say. Like I, I'm totally um, not a performer. Yeah. I like it's not my strength at like. Yeah, but the problem I, I'm supposed to be a performer, but I'm just not. Great <laughs> I'm not at supposed words. to be, so I'm okay with being bad at there's, it. Yeah, there's Miles, Miles, uh, Miles. You of Infinite Sketch. He also is. He always has a joke where it's like uh, the Patrick Riley School of Acting is once the show stops, you can't stop me. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I really find like infinite sketch and Kevin and Pat, I mean, they're very different animals, but I'm really proud of both shows where, as I feel like it's where I should be as a performer is this type of, this type of, you know, environment. Very cool. And I like that. Uh, as we wind down here, I always ask, I'm always, um, curious to pass on some knowledge. Uh, and you mentioned, I mean, you've been doing this forever. You were doing writing little sketches in high school but you never took any like the Mm -hmm. the formal classes at ucb or the pit or whatever what's something that you've learned from sketch comedy or about sketch comedy that you would pass on to a new writer even though you've you've mentioned a few things already what's what's a big piece i feel like the the one thing i can pass on is um three pages is a perfect sketch (laughs) i think three pages you got it um i snl has kind of made the idea so that long go on for 10 their minutes. sketches are so long and they never need to be uh, like a like a sketch should be and i feel like whitest kids you know had beautiful short sketches kids in the hall were kind of monty python too monty python was i feel like almost invented the blackout sketch you know mm. monty python had these things where it would just be like real quick oh this is what's happening in the sketch and this is the punchline goodbye and that's it you know, it's like anytime they would cut to a newscaster or um, stuff like that. But I feel like sketches don't need to be epic work. Sketches can just be funny, and that's okay. Yeah. I feel like uh, there's people who need sketches to be more than funny. But I feel like once you understand that the goal of sketch comedy is to be a comedy, you'll be happier with your sketch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I had a, a teacher in one of the sketch classes I, I did who would refuse to read anything mm-hmm. after page five. Like yeah, if, so, no, if someone brought in a seven page sketch, he's like, yeah, these last two pages were just moving on without them. Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's great. I think, <laughs> I think, I think even five, five pages is where you, you hit it. But when any, anything goes to four pages, I guarantee you can easily make it through. I, I have a th- you know? my thing about page length now is about how many characters are in it. Like yes, oh, cut a character, like, cut, cut, kill your darlings. You know, <clears throat> if a if a sketch is five pages long, there better be like six or seven characters, and they all need to be there. Like, if not, yeah. then yeah, let's. Hey, let's start if you're cutting. doing Snow White and the if you're doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, it makes sense to have eight characters. Yeah, but if you're not, then it's fine. Yeah, you know. And then finally, um, I mean, yeah, you grow up musical theater we've talked about being obsessive stuff so why is it comedy why do you spend your life pursuing 
comedy. Because I grew up fat and gay, and I just assumed because <laughs> it was making them laugh didn't make them hit. I guess you know, it's just what I it's just what I realized early on is that like if you're funny, people will be people will like you more. So, yeah, that's that's kind of it. There's no like fun. Like, so it all uh, just just evolved from that defense mechanism. Yeah, I think it's just it started as a defense mechanism, and then also just needing to be the center of attention was also a big thing hmm. for me. I guess I just wanted to be the center of attention, and everyone's always looking to the funny guy for a good story at the bar. You yeah, know? and that's uh, that's who I think I am, in, at my at my heart and soul, the funny guy at the bar. Yeah, okay. just a funny guy at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. You can follow Patrick all over social media at NotPatRiley. On Thursday, February 6th, Patrick is producing a show for his birthday called Jellical Pats, which is a show about Cats the Movie, the musical, at the People's Improv Theater in New York City. And then on Saturday, February 22nd, Infinite Sketch returns to the pit. For more information, including tickets for both of those shows, go to thepit-nyc.com. And we really didn't mention it in our chat, but Patrick is also a comic artist, and you can check out his comic memoirs for free at noisetrade.com, which is a really cool site I used to use all the time to discover new music. It allows you to download or stream music, comedy, or books simply by giving the artist your email address and zip code. You get a free sample of their work, which could be as full as an album or a chapter of the book, and then they get an addition to their mailing list and a sense of where their audience could be, which is really helpful for up-and-coming artists. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram, at phillysketchfest. The music on the episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy and go do something good.